0: Wow, that's nice. I'm I'm finally I think just now moved into the Christmas mood. I I have spent half my life in Australia, but I still struggle to get in the Christmas spirit because half my life it's, you know, winter time and it's just it's just hard to get past that. But I do love Christmas and it's nice that we can celebrate this whole month is going to be Focused on Christmas, and it's lovely to have the decorations. We'll be having carols each week. And of course, as you're probably aware, Sabbath is Christmas Day, it's a Sabbath. So, you know, what a great day to to remember the big, big thing about Christmas. What's the big, big, big thing? Jesus. And, um, you know, that's really the big thing that everything's about in God's Word, everything we preach, everything we're on about here at this church. And, um, Just one more promotion on the Advent for Kids book. There's a fantastic author. If you don't know, her name is Karen Cullum. um, But yeah, I've been reading it. Unfortunately, our family, I've read it on my own, and the kids Karen have it. had such a busy week. But I have been keeping up. And there's an Advent calendar. You tick it off each day. But I just want to share, you know, where it starts is before Jesus came. And who was He before He came? He, he was God. He was in heaven. He, he was part of creating this world before He came and was born as a baby. And that's really kind of the, the beginning of the Advent for Kids book. And helping kids to see this whole story and, and how it all pivots around it. You know, all Scripture really is about this story. And of course, now we look back on that story and now we also look forward... To the day when Jesus comes again, you know it's been a really good series. I've enjoyed this, and you know throughout this year, this is really concluding um, our final bit of walking the way. And today we're walking the way of faith, which we're striding. It's already been mentioned. You know we're we're going somewhere in a specific directions with purpose. You know where's your life going? Where are you striding? because it's easy to get sidetracked. I have to admit, especially my daughter Hannah has nicknamed me sidetracked. You know, my middle name's sidetracked and I am I do get sidetracked very easily. I have to admit, I don't know, it's just the way my mind works. It's hard for me to stay focused and um, if I see something that um, needs to be done or, or something I easily just want to go do that and then I kind of lose track of what I was originally trying to do. It's so easy to do. But Really, as Christians, you know, too, the, the evil one loves to get us sidetracked. Our whole life can be sidetracked. You know, last week, um, Greg shared that wonderful verse of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. and all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. You know, let's keep on His path. And sure, times we veer a bit, but let's get back and striding in the right direction. And... um As we go through this today, this is part of our core values as a church. So we've got three core values, and uh, the first one's to be spiritually grounded. And so after the first one of this series, uh, Lockie kind of just set the foundation of what faith is, and then we went into being spiritually grounded. And this isn't being spiritually grounded of anything more than God's Word and on Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what we're grounded on. That's what we're on about as a church. That's our core value. And then when last week, Greg covered about us being socially inclusive. And, you know, it's lovely. I've seen people today I haven't seen in a long time. and Man, you guys are my family. You really are. And I I must say, I love every one of you because you're each unique. And even the ones that sometimes we've had some words. I love you, and I think you're awesome, and I think God's got a purpose for you, and that's really what church family needs to be about, because you know, we, families have disagreements, families have difficulties, so families have different decisions, but if we want to keep heading in the direction God wants us to as a body of Christ, we've got to be working together, and I think it's a beautiful thing. What a beautiful um, opportunity. So today we go into mission-focused, and this is our third core, core value. And, um, you know, we, we're on a mission as a church and as in individuals, and uh, we're going to cover that. But I'm just going to review a little bit. This is a, the, the real biblical definition of faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And we've covered that well. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared how everyone has faith in something. You know, and, and whether you have faith in the world and man and science or you have faith in God's Word, you know, and, and, and I covered real, real clearly how, you know, we, our faith will be what we feed. So we can feed our faith or feed our fear. Remember that a few weeks ago? And, and you know, that's really um, resonated with me, you know, trying to make an extra effort to make sure I'm feeding my faith. Because the world's constantly trying to feed you its agenda, its propaganda, and then a lot of times, especially when it's against God's word, we've got to be careful. Sure, we live in a world, but we don't want to be um, wrapped up in it getting us sidetracked. We want to keep striding forward. Unfortunately, we live in a world where, you know who, what most people's God is? It starts with the same two letters as God. See if you can guess it. Google. Google's the world's God now, it seems like, you know, my kids at home, you know, they got a question or anything, Hannah just, she goes straight to Google. She's got one of those little Google things and, hey, Google, and tells them the answers, you know. And I must say, Google falls a bit short when it comes to spiritual things. You'll often, you know, just leave a blank, can't help you with that, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> but again, let's make sure that Google's not our God. You know, we all really have faith in something. We all worship something. What do you worship? You know, worship is an important thing, and we're going to cover that a bit today as we look at mission. Because what we worship is really what our mission is. And a lot of people worship money. They worship um, power, being famous. You know, these are the things that they're striving for. That's what they worship. And many people will reach it. Others won't. But um, it's not going to be eternal it's only temporary you know life does seem sometimes like it's long but you know the older I get the, the more I see how quick it goes and you know seeing my children and just you know when I came to this church six years ago and these pictures come up on Facebook and I go wow Hannah was only in prep you know now she's nearly as tall as I am you know they, they grow up so quick and as parents we have this opportunity and I'm going to cover that a bit more in a few minutes because our mission as a church has a lot to do with the kids in this church. I'm going to come back to that. I don't want to get sidetracked. <laughs> so here in Romans twelve three, For I say through grace given to me, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt each one of you a measure of faith. And we covered this the other week, but I brought it up again because I want you to, you know, some of us think, well, you know, I don't really have faith. The Bible tells us we've all got a measure of faith. It might be a small measure. And we take that and we grow it and we feed it. And it can grow into something mighty and strong. Like the, the parable, the story of the mustard seed. You know, a mustard seed very small, but it grows into something, a great strong tree. And so let's make sure that we're doing that. And as a church, we want to help you do that. Um, but if you're only getting fed and growing from Saturdays, then... You're not going to be growing much because, um, you know, it's kind of like a plant. If you're only giving it sunshine and watering it one day a week, I think it might struggle. You know, it needs, needs it daily. We need that daily food, that spiritual food. It's like, um, I think I outlined this a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, the spiritual food is so important. But, um, and, and I think a while back when I talked about prayer, I talked about being the breath. You know, prayer with pray without ceasing. The Bible tells us, prayer, prayer is like breathing. Every and how often do we breathe? You know, pretty often. You know, some of us, uh, you know, might be sixty breaths a minute. Others might be um, a bit longer. I think your heartbeat and breaths are they are they close together? I don't know. Anyway, maybe they're different. You tell I'm not a medical doctor, right? But I know that at times I get short of breath. My my brother in Alabama. Now three of my relatives have all had COVID and my brother got COVID and he didn't go to the doctor or anything, just stayed home and in about ten days he's oh man, I felt terrible. He had a shorter breath, I had no appetite, and that's not like him at all. He's like me. He loves his food. But um, you know, he survived. Um, you know, but breathing is is life. In our spiritual life, that breath, that prayer, that connection is the key to our relationship with God. And if we're not praying, we're missing that real intimate relationship God wants to have with us. Um, we can have knowledge. We can know things very well. We can memorize scripture. We can know prophecy. We can know so much. But if we don't know what scripture is about, the person Jesus, if we don't know him in an intimate, personal way, where well, we're opening our, that two-way communication with him. Then we're missing out, and we're really growing. So I just want to challenge us, you know, this season to be doing that. Now, it's hard to go past mission without going to the Great Commission. This is Jesus' um, lasting ch- uh, charge to his disciples, you know. And, and this is um, you know right at the end of the book of Matthew. Matthew records this. He says. Um, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Teach teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, what, what a great commission. Not, he doesn't just give it to us and say, you do it. I'm going to be with you because he's the source of power. Again, that's why we need that breath. We need that prayer. That's why we need his word because we're, we're relying on him. We can't do this without him. And so really the, the, the struggle of a Christian is, is actually learning to surrender and learn to give up our pride and our independence and totally rely on God. And uh, that's uh, something, too, we're going to cover a bit more as we continue. But I want to take this, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this Great Commission. I mean, a lot of people think, yeah, this is important, but this is the pastor's job. But the pastors, you know, sure, we might do the baptizing, but we only can be effective as as a church. And I, I find that the more that we have everyone, whether you're a leader in this church or you just attend here, you know, if you're sharing your faith, That exercise in your faith, that's really what mission's about. This is really that next component of being a Christian is exercise. And exercise means that you are sharing your faith. But how do you do it? Well, Jesus says it well in his Sermon on the Mount, you know, the most um, incredible sermon ever preached. And here in Matthew 5, um, after Jesus has said the Beatitudes, he shares this in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. So salt, you know, I, I, I do like salt. Um, I still, um, no, you anyway, know, I'm not gonna go there. Listen, us Americans are very good at um, enjoying salt and I, I get teased a lot because I love a bit, just a little bit of salt in my watermelon, on my rockmelon, and, and it, it's beautiful. Try a little bit. My kids must have some American blood because they do it too. But, you know, a little bit of salt. But what happens if I pour too much salt on my watermelon? Blah! You know? It's not going to be nice. Just a little little bit just brings out, enhances the flavor. And it does that on anything. Um, I am a bit naughty, though. You know, sometimes you'll put food and I'll salt it before I even taste it. Because I just... (laughs) I do like salt, but salt is something, it's a seasoning, and it's used in the Bible quite a bit because not only was it seasoned, but it was a preservative. You know, it's what they would use. They didn't have refrigerators and stuff, and there's a lot of good qualities of salt. You know, we look at the oceans, it's almost like the oceans, the salt water is like the cleansing of of so much. You know, it has an amazing cleansing effect. You know, even my pool is a salt water pool. You know, it takes salt and it turns it into chlorine and, um, you know, it keeps the pool clean. It's an amazing, powerful thing. But the point I want to make is that if you have too much salt, it spoils a good thing. And so we as Christians, can often be Christians that go around and we're so full on, we're so salty, and we're shaking that salt shaker so hard when we're witnessing or exercising our faith that we totally put people off and when they just want to spet you out. Okay? Too much salt is not good. And how do we know how much salt? Well, I know how much salt I want in my watermelon. Obviously, you don't. But, you know... That, that is really for God and His Holy Spirit to lead you, you know, and give you opportunities. How do I share my faith? And listen, the best thing is actions are better than or louder than words. It's by the way we live our lives. How are we living our lives? It's easy to, you know, teach a, a lesson or lead out in a life group or even get up front and preach for some people but when it comes to the rubber meeting the road and living it out i'm the first to say i fail often but never give up keep striving and then jesus goes on after he goes to the salt thing and he says something and i think this is really um, cuz jesus himself i never seen where he actually says that he's the salt but he does say he's the way and he's the light And here as he continues in verse 14 and 15, he says, You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, the point I want to make is our light can only shine as a reflection of Jesus. If we're trying to be our own light, I don't think we can. It's only Jesus. You know, one of my kids said, yeah, it's like the moon. You know, the moon has no light of itself, but it reflects the, the sun quite amazing, especially on a night when it's a full moon. And, and you know, we want to be like the moon. We want to reflect Jesus in a way that people just are attracted and just want to look and they want to know more. And this is what the light's all about. And then it continues in verse 16. the same way, let your good deeds shine out of all to, for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And this is the challenging bit. So we want our good deeds to shine so that everyone can know how good I am, how awesome I am, how talented. You know, God just, oh man, he just gave me so many talents. I can play instruments, I can sing, I can do physical things. You know, we could go a whole list. All of you have talents and skills, but God says, hey, he made us. Without Him, we're nothing. We can't even breathe without Him. He gave us the breath we breathe. So again, this is about just acknowledging our Heavenly Father as being the source of every good deed, every good thing in us. And I think this takes effort. This takes us actually swallowing our pride, turning from the selfish nature that we're born with, and learning to be humble. And, you know, that's not easy. But God says, hey... If we let his light shine through us, and you know, the source of his light is his word. His word is the light, as it tells us in Psalms, and um, it gives us, shows us the way. It lights our path. In Matthew 18, it says, About the same time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus called a little child to him. And he put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like the little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as the little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. So, you know, this is a great lesson, but it's not a lesson so easy for us as adults. You know, for those adults that, um, you know, feel, you know, I'm pretty capable you know, not only have I managed to survive myself through all these years, but now I'm actually raising children, and, and they're surviving. I am going to tell a story soon where, um, you know, there are challenges, but, you know, that's quite a hard thing to actually say, hey, I'm a child, but, you know, we're all happy to say I'm a child of God, but are you really, are you living, relying on Him like a child? Relying on him and acknowledging him for every good thing? Are you thanking him for every breath you breathe, for every good thing you have? Are you living with an attitude of gratitude or are you caught up complaining and, um, you know, focusing on the negatives instead of the positives in life? And, you know, this whole idea of children is, is really what's made this church what it is. Uh, we shared a video last week about, you know, our. Prayer group many years ago praying for young people, and now we have a church full of young people. You know, that's awesome. And with those young people, of course, comes parents, as many of you are parents. But we want to keep making children our priority because ultimately we are all children of God. But our children here, we want to help them to have um, a, a grounding. In God's Word, we want them to have a, um, a start knowing a worldview that's a biblical worldview. Now, many who you know go to Christian schools, whether it's Gold Coast Christian College or um, you know Kings or Hilliard, there's many Christian schools that are throughout, and, and fortunately, you probably do get some of the biblical um, there. But um, you know, in the state schools. I had my last week this last week in the state school up here in Coomera, and man, you know, I just love the opportunity because, well, I still have it because one day that door's going to probably close, and I'm no longer going to be able to go in there and actually tell the gospel to these young kids. You know, it's a privilege to be here, young people. You're privileged to be able to have this worldview of a God that actually loves you, that's created you, that cares for you, that he wants to be with you and help you, and he's got a future for you. Um, George Barna, many of you probably heard of, he's a bit of a guru in, in children and, and uh, research, and I'm um, how to How to grow your kids into spiritual champions, or something one of the books we 've got that uh, you know' is quite uh, uh, good for parents to read how, how to actually because we all want our children to be spiritual champions, you know but he just really shows a priority and how crucial that time by the age of thirteen he says most kids have kind of established that um, core values and those things of their belief system, and so it 's so, so crucial time that we as a church, are doing our part with every kid they bring in here and helping them to get a biblical worldview, get a view that, that God loves them, that God's got a purpose for them, He's got a future for them. And that's why we're investing in our children. How are we doing that? Well, many of you are investing by you giving your time and teaching in our life groups. Our, um, our kids connect each week, and some of you run programs like uh, Manny Music and kids clubs and things But, you know, the real challenge we have is we don't have the space. When they built this building, and it's a beautiful building, um, I guess they didn't really figure that if we had an auditorium that seats 400 people, it's going to be a lot of children out there in our life groups. And so we're busting at the seams. And as most of you know, we have a building project, which we're trying to get over the line. The goal was hopefully at this point, last time we had our building meeting, is to break ground in February. And it looks like there might be some hiccups. So if anyone's out there that has any uh, input on in this, I don't know, anyone from our conference office, we would really like to uh, go forward with this plan. So just, just putting that out there. Because we need it for our kids. It's important. Okay? So that's why we're going to spend $1.5 million on extension to our building so we have a facility that we can continue to grow our children. How important that is. And um, th- these, this I shared last week, uh, two weeks ago. I just want to bring it again. This is that uh, Paul writing to Timothy and how he has this generation from generation. You know, but I just love it. You know how he, you know, had this genuine faith that was passed on from his grandmother, his mother, and then his grandmother. You know what? What a wonderful thing. Um, and and there's also been. Um, Value Genesis study. If you're not familiar with those, there's been a couple of those done within the Seventh-day Adventist Church over the years, and you know those studies continue to show how important it is that we ground our children in their faith. And um, I know quite a few uh, made commitments for baptism. We're trying. There's been some hold-ups from some because they're wanting relatives to come with border closures, but we got one baptism this afternoon. There's more baptisms coming up, but we want to see our young kids making decisions. When they're old enough to, to, to understand what the gospel's about and what Jesus is about, you know, we want to help you with making that decision. We want you to be um, baptized into Jesus, to be a born-again Christian, to be a member of this church where you can then have an influence and an impact. You know, that's an honor. That's a a privilege. And we we want you to be part of our church, the young people, because we're a young people's church, even though we're um, intergenerational. Now... I just want to go back to the mission a little bit more, because as a mission, we want to be the salt, we want to be the light. And one of our missions as a church is our children. And I, I hope I made that clear, because I think that's really, as I look at Gold Coast Central and the way we're situated in our congregation, the children is a real priority. In a way, that's our evangelistic program that we run every week. You know, what What an opportunity. And so that's why we want to invest, and we, we need to not only have money to build this building, but we need people to be given at times, people who can pass on, like um, Timothy's um, mom and grandma did, to, to pass on to our young people their faith and, and teach them so they can be grounded. You know, this is so important. This is really, I see, is our mission. And I think that um, God's going to do mighty things as we continue working together into 2022 in this space. But, you know, as we look back at our church, I just want to go real quickly, real quick, into a background of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You know, because I often get asked, you know, well, We don't know much about Seventh-day Adventists. I deal with a lot of other churches. We have four other churches that hire this place on a Sunday. And I have great relationships with the people and the pastors. And, um, you know, we often have discussions. And and I love just, you know, sharing, oh, what makes you different as Seventh-day Adventists? And, you know, the Sabbath's an obvious one, so we discuss and I share with them my conviction there and other things like, um, you know, what happens when you die and things like that. But, you know, that is, is, is crucial. But... Really, the core of what we're on about is really the same thing most Christian churches. The body of Christ is wider than just the 7th Avenue church here. The body of Christ here on the Gold Coast, I consider all Christian churches, we're all working together as far as, as, as I'm concerned because we're, we're, we're preaching the gospel. And what's the core thing that we believe in as a church that goes right back from the beginning is actually righteous by faith and um, you know they thought Jesus was coming in 1844 there was a great disappointment and out of that you know people were really studying the word studying these prophecies and eventually in um, 1863 the Seventh-day Adventist uh, church was formed and we became a church that believed in the Sabbath from that study and we believe that what happened in 1844 was really we entered into the end times and we're still living in those end times and Jesus is coming he's getting closer and closer every day and so what are we on what's our mission to share the good news. And the good news, the core, is righteousness by faith. Okay, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and again, I just wanna drive that home. That is really our mission, is to share righteousness by faith. And um, this has been quite a controversial thing. This is something that even today, but I wanna just go back into history. Back in 1888, there's a really um, well-known session, because there was great debate happening within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What well, we'd been around as a church, uh, 25 years it would have been, 25 years into our history as a church, we were growing rapidly, and the message was going out, many people were being converted and coming to Christ, but there was a great big debate, and these guys, Jones and Wagner, were preaching this message of righteousness by faith, but there was, they had opposition, there was like Two sides. And the other side, Uriah Smith and others were no, 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 no. It's you know we got to do works too. They came to this session in 1888, and it was a terrible feel. the 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 whole um, it was so much controversy and so much division. But as I studied back on this, and Karen was doing a course, and I I learned some new things as she was doing her church history. On this, but it was quite eye opening as we see what they did. And um, there's a list of scriptures. And at the beginning of this general conference session, Jones and Wagner, I think Wagner kicked it off with Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 7, and they just read straight from scripture. And Wagner read, and then Jones would read. Wagner read, Jones read. And they went right through all those passages. I've got them listed there. It was kind of hard to find these, but I found them. This is what was read on on that general conference session, and everything changed. People suddenly began to see that, yes, there's only one way that we're saved, and it's through Jesus Christ. We can't do anything to help Him. If you think you can do anything to help Him, you're mistaken. If we could help Him, he didn't have to come. That means we could do it ourselves. He had to come. It's our only hope. And sure, the natural product of us accepting the free gift of salvation is that we try to, to, to humble and to surrender and to grow and to feed the faith so our faith grows. But we don't suddenly, when we're baptized or when we accept Jesus, you don't suddenly become perfect. It's a journey. You know, we are justified that happens like that justification by faith is an instant thing. When we surrender to Jesus, we recognize we're sinners. And then the sanctification, which is growing in Christ, we become holy as we grow, but we're only saints. We're only really holy as we rest in Jesus. Jesus. And there was another session that happened um, another, what, 15 years later, as I was looking at the history, and, and there was some really, again, our church was just growing, and, and we had this health message, in Battle Creek there, Sanitarium, was like our flagship. This, if you studied it, it was massive, thousands and thousands of people there in Battle Creek, Michigan, and, and the church was growing, and our institutions were growing, but it was all kind of staying and, and being institutionalized. And um, I won't go into a lot of detail, but as we look at that story, we find that um, some tragedies happened. In February, the year before this session, the Battle Creek Sanitarium, the flagship, burnt to the ground. And then later that year, in December 30, um, the Review and Herald, our publishing house, burnt to the ground. And I think it was around March or April of the following year was when they had the general conference session. If you don't know the, how our church is organized, every five years our world church, the general conference, is the world church meets, and that's where you know decisions are made. That's where we um, really uh, uh, make any anything, I guess, is a structural thing. So you got the general conference, you got unions, you got conferences, and then you have the local church. But really, the local church is the top because none of those exist without us. But you know, it is a structure that served us well. There are things now where we're trying to maybe make some more um, changes to our structure to make it more effective in this day and age we're living now. But if you look at the history, it has served us well. And you know, our church isn't perfect, but I want to encourage you to, to, to look at the things. And again, that's why we need people who, who see things that are inefficient, We need you to get in there and to help us to make a difference. If you say, oh, I don't want to be a Seventh-day Adventist. I don't want to join the church because, you know, they do this. Well, get in there. Come in there and help us make a difference. Have a voice. If you're not part of our church, you don't have a voice. And that's why I really encourage our young people. Um, I will say this. The young lady, Brooklyn, who I'm baptizing this afternoon, I studied with about 12 years ago. And um, she's really wanting to get baptized, but she didn't want to join the church. Anyway, after I... She's actually got her law degree now. She's a very uh, intelligent, capable young lady. And she's passionate about some things. And I just... I said, listen, Brooklyn, we need you. We need you to be a voice. We need you to come in and make a difference. There might be things you see. And so, you know, we're excited that this afternoon she's joining our church through baptism. And it's a wonderful thing. But again, at this session... Um, things were really, I mean, there they they were financial, big financial problems, especially after these things burned down, that they had kind of expanded and, and made investments, and things were, were really tight. There was lots of problems. What did they do at that session? Similar to what happened 15 years earlier, they, they started and they just went back to God's Word. What is our mission? What is God? Why are we here? And they go back to really why we exist as a church and if you haven't heard of the three angels' messages uh, recorded in um, Revelation 14, we really feel that God's raised us up as a church, particularly to proclaim these three angels' messages. And um, I'm just going to touch on, we don't have a lot of time, but I, what I want to touch on, most importantly, and they do go all together, but most importantly is the first angels' message. And I just want to bring that up here. It's found in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. And here John writing uh, prophetically in the book of Revelation, he says, Then I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. To me, this first angel, you really, this, this is the main one you got to get down And really, if you don't have this right, then you might need to worry about the second angel and the third angel. And I'm going to touch on briefly, but I want to focus mostly on this one. The everlasting gospel. What is that? Well, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. The gospel, the salvation by faith that comes through Jesus Christ, who came, who was God, the one who created this world. He came and became a baby like we're about to celebrate. And he was born and he was raised. And eventually he Ministered for three and a half years and died on a cross, a death he didn't deserve because he's the one that lived without sin. And he did it for us. I mean, this is the everlasting gospel. And this is what we have been on about as a church from our beginnings, preaching this message. I went over to um, Prish- Bashard. Is that how you say his name? Bashard? Bashard. Um, uh, him and Jane. And he, he likes this game, Risk. You guys ever played Risk? And. Um, I haven't played in a long time. I think I played when I was a kid. But, you know, it's all about strategies and you, you try to take over the world. But in a way, that, that we, we don't want to take over the world, but we want to cover the whole world with this e- everlasting gospel. Are we doing it? Well, you know, I think it's happening. And this is what is certainly a sign that we're getting closer and closer to Jesus' coming because, you know, the gospel is getting preached to everyone. And then there's this judgment thing. And just want to touch on judgment because this is where a lot of people get uncomfortable. None of us like to be judged. You know, I've had on a few occasions, only due to traffic offenses, I've had to face judges. And um, it's not very nice. But I just want to say this when it comes to judgment. We have God as our judge. We have Jesus as our lawyer. Okay. And they're one. So if I, when I'm judged, if I've got Jesus as my lawyer, God as my judge, is there any way I'm going to lose? It's impossible. So don't fear judgment. If you understand the gospel, if you understand justification by faith, then we have nothing to fear. And a lot of times as a denomination, we as Seventh-day Adventists get critica- criticized because there's this thing called investigative judgment and stuff, and I'm not going to go into that now, but you know, It's simply this. I'm going to give you the Alabama simple, simple, uh, what's his name, Forrest Gump version. Okay? Keep it simple. If Jesus is going to come, and he's going to save those who have accepted the everlasting gospel, doesn't some sort of judgment have to take place to determine who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost? Yeah. So that's really what it's about. And God's not going to be unfair. He's not going to suddenly change his methods. We can look at the Bible. We see how he's been fair and just right through history. He's going to continue to be fair and just. But really what's important is where the battle is, is is the, the, the battle between good and evil is happening in us. But God's already won the battle. We only need to choose whose side we're going to be on. If I've chosen Jesus' side, I have nothing to fear. And we as a church, we teach three phases of judgment. There's a, a second phase of judgment that happens after Jesus is coming. And that's just a, basically a way of us seeing that God's been fair and just. We have a thousand years to look and see. Why wasn't my neighbor that was such a sweet lady in heaven? Well, you know, if I question God, I can see. I don't think we will. But he's transparent. He's got nothing to hide. And of course, the final judgment... I uh, preached on this earlier this year when we looked at hell and how that happens. But um, there is a final judgment we find in Revelations 20 and 21 where the New Jerusalem comes down and eventually sin and sinners are destroyed forever. And again, that's the final judgment. But guys, I want to keep on a, a positive note. We're not, this, this is um, you know, the, the next angel Is it talking about Babylon? Babylon's about confusion. Is there confusion in this world right now? Is you know I'm confused at times, and again I just kind of come back to the basics. I mean, with so much information, with all these media streams and and um, podcasts and YouTube, and you know you get all these messages people send you, and um, it's confusing. And I just encourage you, hey, keep going back to God's word, keep praying, and keep helping Him to make sure that he keeps us from being confused because that's really what leads to the third angel's message which is really a quite a confronting thing but it's really about those who have fallen for deception the three angels is really about us learning to trust god accept his truth and not be deceived and that's where the mark of the beast and all comes in if, if we're deceived if we're following man and not god then we're deceived God knows our hearts, and I'm not here to, to try to touch on a lot of controversial things. I just want you to know that, hey, we've got to be truly following God. And there's going to come a time when we have to make a decision. Am I going to follow man or God? And we've got to stick up. You know, a lot of people think oh, somehow, you know, it's about, you know, you've got to be coming to church on Saturday. I just want to say this. We worship God seven days a week. Now, when you tell me I can't worship God on Saturday, that that might be a problem with me personally. I don't know how you feel. But, um, you know, I have no problem worshiping God on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, too. But Saturday is, to me, an important thing that goes back to creation. And it's in the Ten Commandments. And to me, I'm convicted on that. But that doesn't mean that that saves me. Me coming to church on Saturday is not, again, what saves me? It's righteous in my faith. It's Jesus who saves me. Because He saves me, the Sabbath's a blessing, where we come together as Christians. It's there to be something good, not something bad. But um, you know how the things are going to unfold. I was talking to a colleague this week, and um, he's a young guy, young minister. I won't say who he is, but he challenged me. Huh? Maybe it's not going to all happen like I've been taught or thought. You know. But what matters? Is us being sincere and surrendering, being like a child and trusting God completely. And the judgment's based on this fact. God's light came to this world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for the actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near, um, near it for the fear that sins will be exposed. You ever been out in the bush and you... Overturn a log. And you see all the insects, they scramble. You know, it's not so much they're scared of me, but they just don't like the light. And that's what happens, you know, that evil does not like the light. As we talked about, God is the light. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the light. And if we suddenly hit people with bright light, you know, with too much at once, it can be a bit off putting. So again, we need to reflect. Jesus in a way that doesn't scare people away. They actually get attracted to the light. You know, similar to the salt. We want Jesus to shine through us. So, I was wanting to go into this more, but I, I'm a bit out of time. But I do want to say it, because I've, I just find that the traps that the devil's using now is so cunning. And when it comes to our, our phones... Which I know so many of us spend so much time on, and you know I continue to promote the U Version Bible. I know there's good things on the phone, but you know these rabbit traps of social media and these algorithms and things. You know I I've, I kind of stay off Instagram because I find there's stuff that I haven't looked at, and and it feeds me, and I don't want to see. And especially young people who are you know you know what I'm talking about. If you're feeding your faith that, it's not healthy. And we need to stand up for what's right. And I just want to encourage us to not get sucked in by these subtle things that slowly are getting us off track. We want to keep striding with specific purpose, and that is leading the path that God is opening up for us and um, this is the story we've touched on already in the series of you know the woman caught in adultery you know this is how we as Christians we're not there to judge and Jesus you know he started writing there in the sand and I love the example there's three times in the scripture that I know of that Jesus wrote that God wrote and um, the first time was the Ten Commandments and it was written in stone The second time was in Daniel. He wrote on the wall, and it was about judgment. And the third time was in the sand. And we think it was likely the sins of those who were looking on. But I like the fact that our sins are written in sand. The law is written in stone. And if we're judged by the law, we're all doomed. But I thank God that my sins are in sand. And because of Jesus... He wipes them clean. And, um, yeah, last Saturday, um, I was just finishing v- visiting Elsie Pratt, who passed away on Tuesday. We had a funeral here yesterday. And, you know, it was funerals are tough, but it was a good opportunity to actually realize that life is short. And she had a wonderful family. I think she has five uh, daughters and one son. I think the sun's still here, flies out tomorrow, and um, but it, it was a lovely visit. I had a really special time. She was such a woman of faith, and I was so encouraged. It was such an easy funeral to do for our funeral yesterday because I had this great um, time with her, and she was just sharing how she loved God and how she loved prayer, and prayer was a priority in her family, and when I left there, I got home, and it was just on dark, and we often will close the Sabbath and share what we're thankful for, and um, as I'm gathering the family together. so where's Matthew? Oh, he's out on the electric scooter. And, uh, and so I thought, oh, well, we, we better just go ahead and do it, because it was is is getting... And so we went ahead and started, and I started rushing because I think it was getting dark out there, and I was a bit worried. And as I said the closing prayer, I said, Lord, just uh, be with Matthew, bring him home safely. And as I'm leaving that, I'm heading to go look for him. He walks in the door. And um, I hope Matthew doesn't mind me sharing, but... He just burst into tears. And I'm, Karen and I didn't know why at first. Then we see his arm, and you can see there that we looked at it and go, Oh, that doesn't look normal. I think something's broken. And so, you know, we had to take Matthew into the hospital, and um, they x-rayed it. And I think there's a picture. It was a very bad break. Very bad break. But what really inspires me about my son, Matthew, is he pushed his scooter from movie world back to our house, 4.3 kilometers, pushed it, with a arm broken, the other bone was actually broken as well. So both his bones and his arm were broken. He pushed his scooter. You know, electric scooters aren't light. Four point three kilometers. I don't think. I don't think he was crying. Either. He had a mission. He was striding with a purpose, and his purpose was to get home. Nothing was going to stop him from getting home, and he made it home. And then he just whoo, broke. But. um you know, we're very thankful that he made it home and we're thankful it wasn't worse. And we thank all the good uh, doctors who on Sunday morning had surgery. They put a plate in and seven screws and, you know, he, he will heal up. But I just want to close, church family, to just challenge you to keep feeding your faith, to keep striding to go home. No matter how hard it gets, he's going to be with us. And I don't know what it was that gave Matthew that strength. It just amazes me to get home. But, you know, God was with him. And times are going to get tough. Things are going to be painful. We're going to suffer losses. We're going to suffer um, disease. We're going to suffer breaks, aches, and pains. But God says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And ultimately, he's going to take us home with him. And we're going to be with him forever. There'll be an end to sin. No more pain, no more suffering, no more heartache. Let's thank God for that. Let's, uh, let us nothing get us sidetracked. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. As we go into Christmas and we remember Jesus coming the first time, what a pivotal time in history to know that Jesus came. He didn't have to, but he wanted to because he longs to be with us, to love us. And to put an end to all the bad things. So thank you, Jesus, for coming. And thank you for living that life and and enduring the terrible things you went through. For being an example to us. For basically writing scripture as you lived it. And ultimately died on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, that each one of us here has eternal life through one thing. And that is righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, come into our hearts, work through us, help us. You know what our struggles are. We all have weaknesses. We all have avenues. The devil's trying to get in. Lord, help us. Whether we're young or old, Lord, the devil knows how to distract us. He knows how to get us sidetracked, to get us on the wrong path. Lord, we want to turn back. We want to stride towards you. And that we keep doing that. And that we keep fulfilling the mission you've called us to do. And that is to reach our community with the love of Jesus. Help us and empower us in Jesus' name. Amen.